This is Raynor's podcast, The Creative Mindset. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Creative Mindset, a podcast about what the future holds at the intersection of creativity and technology. My name is Ray Inamoto, the founding partner of IONCO, a global innovation firm based in New York and Tokyo. This segment is called Ask Me Anything that we started recently where we answer questions from listeners. What we do differently from other Q&As is instead of just answering them by myself in the studio, we invite those listeners to be on our show and make their question and my response into an open dialogue. This week, the question comes from Kaz, an entrepreneur who started a design company called Gypsy in San Francisco. They work almost exclusively with startups and become a higher design team in exchange of equity, a business model that my company also has dabbled with. Kaz wanted to discuss with me what the future holds for design agencies in the age of AI. Definitely a, a hot topic these days. So let's get started. Kaz, where do we find you? Can you tell us where you are now? I'm currently in Tokyo, but I'm primarily based in San Francisco. Yeah. You mentioned that you're there for a few weeks for a company conference. Is that right? Exactly. So there was a huge startup conference called IBS, uh, and I had a pleasure to get invited and give it a talk about its transformation around AI, which we'll be talking soon. So yeah, uh, excited to be here as well. Yeah. So I uh, love to jump in. If you can, well, thanks for, first of all, thanks for reaching out to us in the first place. <laughs> and uh, yeah, tell us what you would like to talk about today. Sure, sure. And uh, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, you've been a great inspiration as well. So uh, to do a quick intro, I guess, uh, my name is Cass. Uh, I'm a co-founder and CEO of Zipsy. Uh, we're essentially a design and investment firm for startups. And we do two things. Uh, we first, first thing we do is for early stage startups, where potential is more abundant than capital, we invest our brand and product building expertise in exchange for equity to help startups get through the first phase. Uh, this typically means taking startups to that they're built something impressive enough to raise money on a larger scale. The second thing is for growth stage startups, we integrate as a design team to further support product building and content creation. And just today, uh, definitely I'd like to talk about, simply put, uh, what does the future design agency look like? Uh, given that emerging, emerging technology like generative AI and for context, you know, um, even, even copywriters, you know, they can, even everyone can write a copy, even graphic designer, even anyone who doesn't have design expertise can now generate all the graphics through generative AI. And from macro perspective, you know, you're there. Our value has been like demand and supply. People pay you for design services because you know how to use design to you know design principles and your expertise is scarce. But then with the adaption of this AI, it feels like more and more people can design things that anybody could not design before. So the first and foremost, as a design founder, I'd love to really discuss and get your insights on what does design agency in two years look like? And, you know, what do we need to really prepare and adapt for this change? I will start off by saying that nobody knows 
what the future is going to be. <laughs> and the best that we can do, and there are a couple of things that we can do. One is we can guess what it could be. Two is to prepare what it could be. And three is to create what it should be. Right? Mm -hmm. To talk about the specific question about the future of design agencies, uh, which is essentially a company that you run and a company that we, we provide design services to clients as well. And, you know, there are similarities and differences between, I think, what you do and what I do. But just in terms of pro providing design services to clients, if the past is any indication of what the future could be, I think there is an aspect or there are aspects of AI that are rightfully underestimated. Two years ago, nobody was talking about generative AI. Two years ago, nobody. Even a year ago, you know, a year, June, July of 2022, yeah, you know, tools like MidJourney and other tools were out there, but not to the extent of accuracy and not to the extent of capability that we see in the summer of 2023. So a year from now, if you see the exponential growth of AI and particularly generative AI, creative generative AI, such as ChatGPT and uh, Midjourney and Dali and other tools, the change that we saw in the past year versus the change that I think we'll see, I think will be just like a, a, a hockey stick curve. So, you know, Right now, it's kind of like this, and it started to go up, and it will even be steeper, I think, that the, the rate at which the changes will happen. Now, having said that, um, and I'm sure you know, you've played with a few different AI tools, uh, particularly because we were talking about the future of design agencies, like visual generative AI tools. There are certain things that those tools are very good at. They are very good at visualizing and generating images out of nothing that look quite real, right? Things that are based on the real world that we see and then maybe mix it with other things to create somewhat surrealistic images, right? And those tools now allow us to create images at a, a such a quick pace that we didn't see, it, the, the, a quick pace that wasn't possible before. At the same time, I again, like people who have seen AI, uh, generative AI tools, and particularly image generative tools, should recognize the fact that it's good when you don't know quite what you want it to do. And you give a generic prompt, and it will give you very specific images. But if you have a very clear idea of what you want to create and you need to generate those images, it can be quite tricky because it's like telling, you know, a, a primitive living thing what you want and it interprets in, in its own way. So I think there's still some time for these generative, and I might be wrong, you know, because the, the, the change is happening exponentially, but 
as it relates, I think as it relates to generic image generation using AI tools, I think it's extremely useful and it will cut down the cost, the time, resources, and cost of generating images, right? But when it comes to design, and I'm actually using the word image generation versus design uh, creation are two slightly different things, slightly, but very different things. And when you're getting requests from clients and you as a creative director, you as a design director, you as a designer, you interpret those requests and, and questions and, and um, ambiguity. And as a human being, we interpret and generate a very specific thing. Even something as subjective as say a logo, like if you have a specific idea and if you wanted AI tools to create exactly what you have in your head, it's, it's very, very challenging. So I think that will AI replace human beings and human designers? I think if you are a very mediocre average designer, I absolutely think that AI can replace human beings, human designers. But if you are a very high caliber, high uh, level and strategic creative thinker, there's still a lot of room for human beings to use AI and you know human plus AI creating something new that human alone or AI alone can't create. As it relates to design specifically, which is, you know, design is a discipline of solving problems. It's not just creating for the sake of creating. That's art. You know, creating for the sake of art. Uh, creating for the sake of creating is art. Creating for the sake of solving a problem or in service of other things or others, that's design. And AI, at least in 2023, and for the foreseeable 12-month, I would say, <laughs> it, it, it falls short. Yeah. So to get back to your original question about, you know, what's the future like, what, what does the future look like for designers and design agencies? If you, and I think this will be probably true for the next, say, five years or even 10 years, is that if you focus on not racing to the bottom of the tasks that you need to do as a designer and as a design agency, but you race to the top, you know, how can you, um, go to the top of the problem-solving ladder, so to speak, and really operate at the highest strategic level. That's where the humans can still have an edge and leverage AI to solve those problems. But if you are you know, providing services that are just like scaling and generating scale or generating quantity, then I think it, it will be, it will be just the, the race to the bottom. And if you provide, even, even today, if you use AI to provide a service that allows you to generate, you know, thousand images in one minute, three months from now, another company will do the same thing, but 10 times, you know, that company will create 10,000 images in one minute. And then a year from now, it will be, you know, a million images in one minute kind of thing. So if you are in the business 
of creating quantity, then I think your, your days as an, a design agency uh, will be numbered. I, I really like resonate on uh, what you just said of like quality over quantity and like how you communicate with, you know, like with the interaction with computer. And also like as a, as a design design studio founder in San Francisco, we also work with a lot of like startups in the space. And what we see, what we see in a landscape is the whole definition of design is changing. Like, what I mean by that is, I think from like back in 1980, we like this design studio, a design firm called IDEO invented this like graphical user interface and a mouse where like everyone can point and click things to open the files. And before that, you have to, in order for you to communicate with computer, you have to know this like command line language to just even open the files. But right now, what you're we, we call this like a natural language interface. Like the whole design principle is like, you know, interact when interacting with a computer, just like you talk to human. So we're starting to see the startup where, you know, you order through your voice and then the computer will execute, like, and read through the contents. And, you know, in more like simple, you know, perception, like, if you have a friend who started all the information in the internet, we call this LLM. And if you have a very smart friend who asks a question, who answers it for you, that's chat GPT. And if there is a friend who proposes what to do and they will execute the task for you, that's like agent GPT or auto GPT. And, you know, like a whole job of like a design, like, our job was to, you know, design the interface, design the experience using Figma or like helping, helping us communicate. But right now, like whole, like, you know, uh, we recently saw Figma AI release where like people write a prompt and they design interface. So yeah, um, very like both, how to say curiosity and a little bit of fear of this, like ambiguity on what happens. Um, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, uh, I personally really, really spending a lot of time thinking about why people choose us over like any other current solution over others. So that's kind of like a general context of why I really wanted to be here. And yeah, uh, go please. Yeah, I think that the question that you just asked, why us versus others? Why does the client, why does this person choose me or choose my company to provide what they might need versus others? And others could be other companies, but could also be other individuals who might be, you know, could be another company that has 10 people, 50 people, 100 people, or could be one person who's using AI to produce as much as a 10-person company or 50-person company doing. So I think the threat is, uh, yes, the way you, you can look at AI as a threat, but the bigger threat, I think it's people using AI to replacing what you do, you know? So I'm not worried about AI particularly self as a tool to replace me as an individual or say my designer even, 
but other companies using AI to produce things much more quickly. And um, I, I think that the key would be, because when, when we talk about AI, and particularly AI as it relates to the creative and design industry, the first thing that everybody talks about, and this is the dominant thing right now, is efficiency. Oh, AI is going to make this efficient, right? And nobody is talking about AI is going to make my work better. How can I use AI to make my work better? That's, that's, I think that's a better question to ask. Because the thing is, everybody knows that, that we can use AI to do things more quickly and to be more efficient and to be more productive. And that's what everybody's going to be doing in no time, right? But the real question, and I think the real focus as a designer like ourselves, that we should do as a creative like ourselves, what we should do is how can we use AI to make my work better? Not just make it, make it efficiently, but how can we make the work better? That, I think, is a question. And right now, the majority of companies, including these startups in Silicon Valley, and especially, I mean, you know, Silicon Valley likes to think and likes to believe that technology will solve everything. And yes, to some extent, but also you will create a lot of problems. I mean, you know, look where we are with social media. People thought that social media would connect connect everybody in the world, which it did, but it also divided the world. Yeah. And uh, AI, I think, is, is a different phase and different type of different dimension to technology that we didn't see before. Yeah. And the other thing that I, that I would um, add to the conversation, a couple of things. One is um, you talked about IDEO and the graphical user interface. By the way, just to talk about history a little bit. GraphQL user interface was invented at, at a company called Xerox Park. And it was in Silicon Valley back in, I think in the seventies or even earlier. And then Steve Jobs saw what they were doing and said, okay, that's the future. And I'm going to create a company using that kind of interface. And I'm not sure if Steve Jobs um, hired IDEO to create the mouse, but I think there was a, a researcher at Xerox Park who was using a device, a mouse-like device to control what was on screen. And then later, you know, that became the, uh, the, the more advanced graphical user interface controlled by and managed by uh, a device like a mouse. Uh, that was one, just a histor historical thing. But the other thing that I, it's also a history thing, but do you know a story about the push button on elevators? Do you know about this? So, you know, like you, you, when you go to, to an elevator these days, right? And I mean, every elevator pretty much has a push button. And you don't think twice about it. You just press, okay, I'm going to, you know, floor seven or floor 27 or whatever. And it just goes. But when elevators were invented, I mean, elevators as a concept has been around for, for that concept of elevators has been around for, for many, many centuries. But the actual, um, the elevators as we know, Elevators that are operate with electricity and power were invented um, in 1850s, I think 1854 something. Yeah, but at that time, they were operated with an operator 
in the elevator to to let you ride from one floor to yeah so there was it was human human operated right and in the late uh 1890s i think 93 i want to say um the first elevator with a, a an elevator button was introduced in a building in new york do you know how long it took for that to become a common thing in New York and the rest of the country? So something that we, something as mundane as an, uh, an elevator button, right? It was invented in 1890s. Technologically, it was possible for anybody to push a button to go to the floor that you wanted. It actually took until 1950 for that to become a common thing. So it took over 50 years. Yeah. In 1945, there was a, a big strike. Similar to, you know, I mean, you live in San Francisco, you, you must have heard about the, the writer's strike that was, uh, that was happening in LA and, uh, and in New York recently. So writers, you know, Hollywood and TV writers were uh, on a strike recently against the studios using AI as a way to make the work more efficient, right? And there were other factors as well, but that was one of the main things that they were uh, on strike about. Back in 1945, a similar thing happened with elevator operators and the elevator button. So 1945, like in November or something, 15,000 operators in New York City decided to go on a strike. And because the majority of the elevators at that time were still being operated by people, New York City basically had to shut down. It was like, you know, imagine like um, traffic signals going off. It would just destroy, it would just make the traffic system in New York irrelevant, right? It was kind of like that. Like you couldn't write, you couldn't go into a building and go to floor 18 or whatever, right? So the city shut down and then the city mayor had to negotiate with the elevator um, operator union to say, you, can, you know what, like we will do these things to make it work for you. And, but what that, did, what that strike did wasn't so much a legal improvement. What it introduced or what it forced was technological improvements to the elevators. Technological in, uh, elevator uh, in, improvements such as, you know, like when you're on an elevator, there's an emergency button, right? So like something happens, you can push it or you can pull it and then the elevator would stop. That was one of the new features. Another feature was uh, a phone. Like, if there's an emergency, you can call the phone to ask for help. Yeah. And those technological and visible, visible features were introduced to the elevators. And those visible features gave regular people the comfort and the secu psychological security to say, now I can ride this elevator and even if something happens, 
I know I can get help. So for 50 years, people didn't want to ride an elevator without a human operator because they thought, even though it was technically safe already at that point, they, they didn't feel that they were in control of the elevator. They, were, they felt that they were unsafe. So for 50 years, people didn't adapt. And it took the strike to introduce additional visible features that would give the user the psychological safety to start getting used to elevators with a, uh, with a push button. So that was a long-winded way of saying that technology, and this, by the way, uh, to, to give credit to where the credit is due, I heard about this little uh, anecdote from a, a New York Times podcast. And he just mentioned, you know, it was a reporter who mentioned about this. And he just mentioned uh, a couple seconds in that episode. So I looked into it. That's why I knew all the dates and <laughs> the specifics of it. But the point that, that he was making was that um, it, it, it could take a while for technology to be adopted. You know, we think that, oh, it might change things overnight. Yeah. I mean, it's something as mundane as a, an elevator push button, you know, and uh, we, we don't think twice about it now. But back in 1893, when it was invented, it was this automatic AI button, you know, this artificial intelligence button that you just press it and it takes you to the floor that I want to go. Magic, right? It's just like, oh, prompt. Boom, it creates these images. Yeah. So I, I do think that uh, right now the state of generative AI, particularly generative AI as it relates to design, is in, in its nascent stage. But for, you, you can definitely use it. I mean, I use it to like brainstorm things, you know, when, I, when I'm stuck with writing I just kind of ask random questions into ChatGPT, and I don't I, I f don't find myself copying and paste exactly what ChatGPT says, but I use it as a as a basis to oh okay, you know these are ways to to say this or these are ways to to look at this, and and also because ChatGPT can be pretty in inaccurate that uh, I you know we shouldn't trust what uh, what it says, and. Yeah, I really love the insights and even like elevator elevator history. It's like I feel also definitely see the similar like foundational principles as we see as a graphical user interface as well. Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you using AI in any of your workflow? Yeah, uh, actually, in many places, um, we do actually like um, we recently. Uh, design uh, products that automatically uh, dub your dub your voice, um, which basically, if you're speaking Japanese, using your own voice, and you let your you let your talking video to talk in different languages, or like variety. Uh, or we we recently worked with a startup called building marketing automation tools, where they're trying to automate the content marketing workflow, where you know. In a content marketing workflow, like researcher research, hey, what kind of content should we write? What kind of keywords we should talk about? Okay, let's talk about AI design design principles for AI products. And then 
then the writer comes in, the writer writes a blog. And then after the writer writes a blog, the social media manager writes in Twitter thread or LinkedIn post or Instagram post. So right now we are designing this like uh, automation tool where research agents, uh, well, let's design research agents and let's connect that research agents, to blog writer agents, blog writer agents writes based on the research agents output. Twitter, Twitter writer agents, like the blog writer agents will write based on what the blog writer agents wrote. So by just drag and dropping all these like agents on the interface, you're pretty much designing the entire workflow that we used to do as a content marketer um, to produce the similar outputs. So um, that's, I think that's the immersion of uh, GPT or agent GPT and um, also truly seeing like, you know, including some of the, you know, uh, graphical image generation as well as this like uh, uh, like workflow automation tools. Um, those are like something we see during like real time projects uh, working with startups. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's one job. Social media manager is one job that I think is going to be replaced <laughs> or is being replaced by AI as we speak. Truly, truly. Yeah, I really love the part where you said instead of like you know, replace or like uh, reduce the cost. Like how can we improve our, our like work using AI? And uh, probably you definitely be interested in knowing like how do you think you would, it's kind of a very open-ended discussion and brainstorm, but how do you think you would um, apply like all these like mindset to your own work or either through your work, personal, personal life or a professional career? As a the way that I'm personally using it right now and the way that my company is starting to use, uh, use AI, there are a couple of different dimensions to it. Um, one really useful way of using AI today is in the, the very early stages, when you need to generate ideas, a lot of ideas, because I think the quality of the idea, the idea that you end up pursuing oftentimes depends on the, the quantity of initial ideas that you generate. And sometimes I've noticed with AI as well, Sometimes, you know, your first idea might be the best idea, but you need to go through the process of generating a lot of other ideas to convince yourself that was the, the, the good idea. You might never know, you know, you, you, it will take a while for you to realize it's the right idea, but at least, hey, is it a good idea? Uh, or is it an idea that, that I should pursue? Um, Recently, I, I was working with a client and we were needing to, it was a branding assignment and we needed to jet, you know, come up with a, a, a name, product name. And it was a couple of people brainstorming and then we were using AI as well to, to do it. And AI was in like literally seconds, was able to produce 50, 100 ideas. And then just in a matter of 10 minutes, 
we had hundreds and hundreds of ideas, you know, for that product name. But where we landed was what a human came up with initially. And all these iterations that AI came up with weren't just, they, they just didn't resonate. But before you needed to go through the process of generating those yourself or, you know, other, with other people. So I think, um, I, I would say it's less about efficiency uh, or even productivity, but it's more about exploration. I think, again, to my point earlier, people are talking too much about the efficiency gain or productivity gain. But really, the gain that as designers, as creatives that we gain, yeah, sure, you know, we want to be able to produce things more quickly and more efficiently. But I think the real edge is exploration gain, that we get to explore way more than we used to in the past. You know, two years ago, if you needed to generate, create a logo, you know, it took you eight hours to create, let's say, 100 logo options. Now you can do that in a couple of minutes. Many of them are shit, to be honest, you know, they're not very good. Yeah. I mean, speaking of which, I was, I was, I was using a couple of AI tools to generate logos and none of it was, was barely useful, usable, usable, none of it, none of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting and, you know, it's taking those cues from other logos and images on the internet but none of it was was usable now the reality of the business world is that the majority of people and companies will be okay with what's good enough what ai generates is is just good enough right now you know and but the sad reality is that a lot of people will be okay with it and that's what i was talking about earlier about you know we need to we need to keep streaming upward not downward you know we shouldn't be racing to the bottom we should be racing to the top and again the reality is and you know i think like if you look at other industries like photography industries or industry or uh, illustration industry those industries went through similar identity crisis as well you know when photography was when photographic camera was invented uh, in the 19th century you know photographers were like oh my god you know this is going to replace my job yeah and and even more recently let's say within the past 10 15 years when smartphone cameras became good enough to take pretty damn good photos you know it, it it didn't to be fair though it didn't replace photographers but i think it definitely put a lot of pressure on photographers yeah i i, I do remember talking to a photographer friend of mine this was probably about seven or eight years ago he said, and he's, he's a, you know, he, he's in his fifties. He's been practicing photography since, uh, he was, uh, you know, early in his twenties, in the, uh, in his twenties and since 1980s and 1990s. And back then, the 
ask that he was getting versus now the ask that he's getting from similar clients is the clients want you to produce 10 times more than what you used to produce 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And then I think, and then that would decrease the, uh, the cost per unit, you know, cost per photo. Before, the clients may have been paying, say, $10,000 for a really, really beautiful product shot or a really, really you know, beautiful shot of a model, whatever, whatever it might be. Now, that has probably decreased just because the speed at which these imagery content gets um, digested by society is so much quicker. Yeah, but again, to, to my... The point that I was making was that you shouldn't just chase efficiency. You should use AI to really pursue. Ex you, 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 should, you should use AI not to just chase efficiency, but really pursue exploration. How can you push exploration? And that's where I think where your work becomes better. I mean, to use a different analogy, yeah, Michael Jordan said that, you know, the reason why he succeeded was because he failed more than anybody. Yeah, you know, he lost that last shot. He lost this, you know, this pass. He lost this, he lost that. Or he failed at this, he failed at that. But that's why he succeeded. And with humans and AI, the people, those, the humans that will, bubble to the top are the ones who will spend more time with AI and who will explore more and generate more. <laughs> uh, I th oh, by the way, uh, thank you for all the insights. I, I'm really, really, I can go back and, you know, really make decision with confidence. I really like one of the biggest learning is leverage AI for excellence, not efficiency. Um, and, you know, um, so, yeah, uh, I think I think during going through this ambiguity, especially both from the both as a, from the side where we design a product related to AI, but also the one who use AI to like, to deliver some value to other people. I, I think the directions like all, all, all the creative mindset for making decisions is. Uh, it, it gives me a lot of confidence. So, yeah, uh, thank you so much for all the insights. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I would say as a fellow Japanese designer, Japanese creative working in the U.S., you know, I don't get to come across people like you a lot. Um, having been in this industry for, you know, more than two decades, I'm a few years older than you. And it's been an interesting journey in that it's re really, really rare to meet a Japanese person working abroad. So I'm, I'm super appreciative of the fact that, that you reached out to us and, you know, decided to have this conversation. Um, I'm encouraged by the fact that there are people like you in, in the same or similar industry doing similar things, different but similar things. Uh, and on top of that, you know, I, I come from a, a background of design and technology and, you know, that's what you're doing uh, now as well. So as a fellow Japanese creative individual leveraging technology to make the work better, 
um, I, I'm excited, you know, to see what you will do with the company that you're building and with the tools that you're building. Uh, and also uh, hope that we, we, we get to work together at some point in some capacity. <laughs> That'll be my dream. Thank you. <laughs> uh, as a, as a, yes, uh, I know creative entrepreneur, like you've been, you've been a huge inspiration. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I, you don't know how much, how, how much I'm overwhelmed uh, and be an honor to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. That was PMA Ask Me Anything, where I answer questions from Kaz Tamai, a Japanese creative entrepreneur based in San Francisco. His question, the topic that he brought to the table was the future of design agencies in the age of, of AI is very close to my heart and close to what I do because I can benefit from AI at the same time. I, as an individual, as an entrepreneur, and as, a, as an owner of a, of, a, of a creative company, we can be threatened by AI. In another conversation that I was having with a, a friend of mine recently, he asked me whether I am an AI optimist or an AI pessimist. And my answer to him was that 60% optimist and 40% pessimist. I'm pessimistic about AI because I don't necessarily think that AI will replace my job immediately, but it will definitely speed up the pace at which I, as a professional individual, can be relevant. The point of being relevant, I think, is a never-ending pursuit that we as human beings and we as, we as professionals not just designers, but professionals and human beings have to keep asking ourselves, what makes me relevant? Why am I relevant today? And then the flip side of that same question is, what can make me relevant tomorrow? And what can replace me? That I think is a never ending pursuit that we as humans and professionals have to keep answering. This was a good reminder that even though I was in a position to answer a question from one of the listeners and a fellow entrepreneur in a similar sector that we are, it gave me a reason to pause, it gave me a reason to think, and gave me partially some uh, threat as well as encouragement to make sure that I can be relevant today, tomorrow, and the day after. Another aspect of this conversation that I had with Kaz today that gave me a lot of encouragement and made me smile was the fact that a younger person like him is going outside of his home turf, going outside of his, his comfort zone and trying to do things at a global level. That has been my motivation for a long, long time, for the past 20, 25 years or so. And it's good to see somebody who's 15, if not 20 years younger than me, to be pursuing a similar mindset, but in a very different context. And I, I hope that his voice can become a voice of encouragement to a lot of listeners as well. 
On this podcast, we take questions from the listeners. Like today, if you have a question, if you have a topic that you would like to talk about, definitely, definitely do reach out to me. You can find my social media links in the show notes. So please get in touch. I am your host, Ray Namoto, and this is the Creative Mindset. See you next time.